0: I only hope that we never lose sight of
1: one thing, that it was all started by a mouse.
2: Hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Room Network. I'm your host, Craig, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson.
0: Happy 4th to you. May the 4th be with you, Craig.
2: That is right. May the 4th be with you, and may the 4th be with our listeners as well. Happy Star Wars Day. We are so excited and so uh, honored to be able to celebrate this Star Wars Day with such a special guest. But before we get there, I do know that there might be some of you listening out there that are listening to us for the first time. And so I do welcome you to Beyond the Mouse, and I also encourage you to go back and listen to some of our previous shows. We have some wonderful interviews that we do. The three of us love to talk Disney Parks. We talk Disney movies. We talk properties on Disney. And you can find all the Beyond the Mouse podcast uh, episodes by searching Beyond the Mouse on any podcast app of your choice. Recent favorites for me, episode 100, we had a chance to talk to uh, three people that were integral to the development of a Goofy movie. We talked to director Kevin Lima, to Bill Farmer, Goofy himself, and also to Jason Marsden, who played Max. Also, we talked to Evangeline Lilly this year. We have so many amazing interviews. uh, And What's fun about this guest that we have, he has a tie-in and a connection to an interview that we are going to be dropping this Friday, which is our normal day of release. We had a chance to talk to Disney legend, Tony Baxter, and that interview will be coming out as well. Holy moly. I just wanted to get some of that upfront and say thank you for listening. And thank you to the listeners who have been listening to us for uh, more than four years now. We really appreciate you as well. But today we get to speak, we get to spend Star Wars Day, having a wonderful conversation with Anthony Daniels, C-3PO himself. I can't believe it, and I can't wait to get to this interview. Brett, your thoughts on 3 po
3: Wow, I'm just a little bit excited about talking with Anthony Daniels. Um, actually, I'm I'm beyond excited. So I just really can't say anything else. But uh, let's get there when it's time. Yeah,
2: I'm ready. <laughs> Vanessa, your thoughts?
0: I have just listened to the audio version of his book and it is absolutely wonderful and I cannot wait to talk to him about it some more.
2: I will say uh, right up front that I have a copy of his book, I Am C-3PO, The Inside Story. It is such a fabulous account of the whole Star Wars universe, truly, because he is, of course, the only actor to be in all nine of the films. He does so many different spin-off projects. He has voiced so many uh, C-3PO for so many different properties and so many different mediums. And this book is truly a story of how that career has progressed so far. And it's amazing. So certainly go and pick up the book, I Am C-3PO. But without any further ado, from a galaxy far, far away, here is our interview of Anthony Daniels. Hello. Hello, Hello, sir. How are you?
1: I'm good. I never quite believe these things work. I know. Right. Isn't it
2: incredible? It's, so, it's just an honor to invite yep. Andy Daniels to our show. And thank you so much for joining uh, today with us. And so it's abundantly clear to us from reading your book, uh, I'm C-3PO, The Inside Story, which I have a copy of right here, uh, that you, are, you have such a respect for your fans. And you mentioned you actually bring up the Star Wars in concert as one of the best experiences that you've had. And do have a question on that later. But for right now, it's Star Wars Day. Do you have uh, a fan interaction or any message to the fans of Star Wars that you'd like to share with us?
1: i just like to remind fans, some may not realize the younger ones, maybe the older ones who were there at the beginning, um, that Star Wars just opened without any kind of fanfare, there was no budget available to advertise it, so it opened in a couple of theatres I think, but the people who went in just kind of mildly interested ran out shouting and because of that they brought their friends, their friends brought their friends, there's a phrase now going viral, it didn't exist back in those days, it went viral due to the affection, interest, uh, excitement, fun of people who became fans. And I wish there was another word. I've said it frequently. Fans is a word um, that some people take wrongly. It means there must be crazy. There must be uh, too much. No, it's not like that at all. Um, Star Wars fans appreciate so many aspects of the film in all directions. And uh, it's just a, a collective, Uh, word, Uh, but I respect them, you know, there are some crazy fans just as there are some crazy people uh, in, in the world and, you know, you avoid them because the huge majority are just normal people who love what I and the rest of the team over the years have done. So I, on this day, I really say thank you to everybody who has supported me and everybody else over 45 years and counting, um, in a job that I, okay, it has its ups and downs, it's hard knocks and all that kind of thing, but ultimately is a thing of joy and has kept me happily employed for a long time.
2: That's wonderful. Brett, you have our next question.
1: Well,
3: I, Well, first of all, it is such an honor to speak with you. And I was just thinking the other day that in The Wizard of Oz, the Tin Man is looking for a heart, while in Star Wars, their own Tin Man of Swords, C-3PO, is really the heart of all things Star Wars. So it just sort of came to me the other day. But I must tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. Actually, in preparing for our interview, I ordered the print copy, and when that was delayed, I bought the digital copy and read that. But Vanessa and Craig said so many good things about the audiobook. I bought that, too. So yay royalties. (laughs) But Craig and Vanessa were right, and of course, you know, the audiobook is stellar. But from from a fan, when I was reading the book, from a fan's perspective, it was very sad to hear about, at least at the beginning, the studio's lack of understanding that you created C-3PO from the inside out. And he's not just some movie magic robot with your voice. So we are here to celebrate you and your wonderful performances, C-3PO. Thank you. <laughs> in your book, you take your audience and fans on a very detailed account of the process of making Star Wars films. You mentioned a diary in your book. Did you start journaling your experiences from the start? And you just have an astounding memory
1: for detail? Absolutely, did I not keep a diary? I think I tried. I started actually on episode uh, six, uh, Return of the Jedi, because I had a lot of time in the deserts in Yuma, Arizona, Um, but I'm not disciplined enough. And the, back then anyway, and the discipline of writing a book is really, uh, as many people listening will know, if you are writing a book, you've got to get up and and do it pretty much every day and just make yourself do something. Um, But back then, no, I was too... I think I was too tired at the end of each day. You're wearing a costume like that, you, you haven't got much energy left over. So a lot of it is from memory and from stories I've shared over the years at various events, conventions and so on, that have kept it alive. But actually the, the experience of the first film was so, um, stunning, such a, uh, a forceful experience that I think it really locked itself into my brain and I can I can really picture some of the scenes that I talk about. And one of the things you will notice in the uh, written book is that I have tried to locate, tried to bring the, the, the reader there with me, so I describe as it does in the script, uh, interior, uh, command center, uh, Death Star, uh, so that you're seeing what I would see in the script. And then we talk about the scene because I want people to come along and, and feel how it was that you know, the sound was gritty, the wind was cold, the, uh, the dialogue was rubbish, uh, all these things to make them feel a part of it.
2: Vanessa, you have our next question.
0: Well, you are a trained stage actor and you've worked in radio. And I, I, we really love your narration and the voices you do in the audiobook version of IMC-3PO, um, as well as we love the musical transitions in the audiobook. So we wanted to ask you, what was your experience like recording the audiobook?
1: Um, kind of, it was a nightmare, frankly. Oh, um, no. It was far, uh, you know, to be honest, um, I think the publishers are a little confused about. Um, they'd never done a book like mine. They do guide books and things like that. They had no idea. And I'd never written a book, so I had no idea. But I did have kind of ideas of production, whatever. And how can you have uh, an audiobook which begins by talking about John Williams' music? That's how I begin it, mm-hmm. because that was such a the concert tour I did. Maybe listeners came to one of the events we did across America, Europe and Japan. Um, John's music thrills me and everybody else and was a major, major part uh, of, of the saga. One of the greatest characters in the saga is John's music. And so uh, with the publishers saying, oh, you know, can't have music or cost too much. I actually spoke to John Williams about it. And all you need is a few bars to, and instantly you and I and everybody listening knows where we're at, Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the famous uh, Darth Vader signature tune or it's the Cantina uh, music, you know. That's all you need and you're right there. Um, And I have to say. Recording the book, I had to do it very, at uh, the last minute, and it took five days. Um, and a lot of editing. Um, and I was quite proud of the result and glad I did it. I have to say it wasn't easy. Uh, to my surprise, well, anyway, actors always complain. You know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well know. Well, well, oh my gosh. gosh.
1: Because, you know, it is my voice talking my words. And the book is very much written in the way I speak, so not in whole sentences and often it's slightly stream of consciousness um but again it's I wanted the reader to think you know they're sitting with me and and I'm talking to them personally and I'm very glad that you think it works because you never know you know and people are amused that <laughs> I impersonate George Lucas quite a lot. Um I do. Uh, but with great affection, I, I should
2: have. I loved that the chapters were shorter in length because it was like uh, little bits of a conversation that would then feed into a larger narrative. And so for someone, and I know I've heard in other interviews, you say that you would not call yourself an author. For someone that says they're not an author, you uh, put together quite the story.
1: Well, th- that is very kind. But I have, I've always had a respect for uh, authors, but never known quite why. Until you write a book, you... <laughs> Uh, just because you've written a book doesn't mean you're an author. Um, I read books by by proper people, people who do it for a living. I did this for fun, you know, uh, <laughs> fun. Um, yeah, okay, I've written a book, and I'm I'm not being coy. Uh, I think being able to write a book, like a novel, wow, what a what a thing to to know that you you've done that. But I have, you know, it's the book itself started out. I think. they've said 60,000 words, and then it went to 90, and then it's become 100 and something words, you know. Um, but the other thing that I also wanted to do, because the people who published it normally do guidebooks with, you know, picture here and a little paragraph, I wanted to make it flow like a conversation. And to begin with, I wasn't going to have chapters. Because to my mind, if you're reading something and you suddenly get chapter three, it, it kind of is a smack in the face. And then I realized kind of you need chapters to almost like a bus stop. You need to take a pause here. Just get off the bus for a while Yeah, and maybe come back and join it later. And then I devised that by uh, printing the chapter headings um, in a lighter gray than the text. You could slide over it if you wanted. If you didn't have to stop here, you could read a bit more if you want. And also by making the chapter headings one word. Um, Again, it's not going to interrupt. And always, when I'm writing, I'm trying to infer what might happen next, so you have to stay with me. You know, what's he talking about? I don't get it. Now, oh, I see. Uh Right, now I understand. So it's not always obvious where we're going, because I wanted the reader to do some work as well. Does that sound very high-handed?
2: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I, no, I enjoy it's, it. I, it's I, wonderful. I really, truly enjoy uh, just everything uh, about that book writing process that you've had. Uh, Vanessa, you have a question about uh, his other professions that he does as well.
0: Yes, well, we are gonna leave Star Wars here just for a moment and uh, ask you this question. You are a visiting professor at Carnegie Mellon University. So can you tell us what that experience has been like helping to craft the students who may one day bring us the next great space epic, droid, or video game? What's that experience been like for you? It
1: is um, absolutely enlivening because the students range from 20 to maybe 35 years old, and highly technical um, in their abilities, whichever you know, from China, from India, from Russia, America, England, uh, all mixing together often in a second language. And they are particularly skilled in in computer uh, technology and programming and so on. And the idea is that they work on projects that may last for two days, two weeks, two months, a year, and they work in teams. And they have to get on with it, they have to get on with each other. And sometimes I think I bring a couple of things to to the table. One is I'm older and I've I've had the corners knocked off and I've, you know, I've seen sort of simple ways of doing things. Um, And the other way is I'm so simple that in some of their projects, I'm there as a naive user to test what they've done to see if it communicates with an ordinary member of of the audience, the public. Um, Because they're so clever, they often take some things for granted and uh, they miss a step. We all need, us amateurs need that step. So they've all enjoyed, I think, watching me struggle with their project, whether it's augmented reality or or virtual reality or uh, a location-based entertainment. Uh, The sort of people that would go and work for Disney, for instance, as Imagineers. So it has kept me, my mind jumping, because if there's 20, 25 projects, I'm having to leap from one to another on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have been given that
2: job. I wanna get a little bit philosophical with you. You have seen so much of the industry change in your career as 3PO, uh, going from the practical effects of the original trilogy. And you mentioned that George really brought in the digital, um, maybe uh, a bit too much possibly even uh, in the prequels. And then the sequels, J.J. Um, Abrams had brought back some of the practical effects. But I'm wondering, because Brett mentioned it, He, you are the, the heart of the story for us as an audience. Audience in my mind. And I think that that is because there is a human inside that droid. And I'm wondering if you think today that same kind of role could be replicated in a CGI world. Do you think that um, a role like 3PO would be put in with an actor and could work today in the the digital world we live in?
1: Well, you know, there are plenty of, plenty of examples of and immediately you talk, I think, of Tom Hanks as being a character in, in Toy Story. And it, it's a cartoon, it doesn't pretend to be real. But you, as a member of the audience, you re- relate 100 to, percent to this character. You you take the the uh, the idea that it's uh, you accept it, that it's animation. But his personality, his, his acting wins you through. If you look at a film called, uh, for instance, um, Uh, iRobot, where you have um, clearly a CGI uh, manifestation on the screen, but the personality of the actor really comes through. And, you know, animators are very clever. They look at themselves in mirrors a lot. They look how how people move, how, uh, and they can create, you know, bad animation is bad animation. Bad anything is bad. Um, But I think if you, you can... There are plenty of instances where it's not quite right, where the, the valley is so uncanny that actually you don't care. But you know, good for trying. It's um, always there is the the, the heart of, of the actor in there. And one of the aspects of 3PO that you know, has become clear is that in spite of George trying to get rid of my voice, as, as I talk about, because in, in recording, for those who don't know, I had a little uh, microphone inside the the face, but you couldn't use it as uh, whatever. So obviously I would need to replace it. And in fact, I would redo the voice outside the costume as a wild track so that the the, uh, editors had something to work with. But it was six months later before I found that he had tried to replace my uh, acting with another person. But with me playing it, you had my physicality in the suit, uh, my brain, my brain thinking about it, my voice thinking about it, speaking about it, my soul thinking about it. And you had a a unity of the character and and that's what works quite well.
2: Absolutely. Brett, I think he uh, did such a great segue to your question.
3: Well, yes, you were talking, you know, about practical sets and, and all of that. As an actor, do you have any preferences to your surroundings? Does a real set feel more real from the onset? And does that jumpstart your creativity? Or does it make really no difference?
1: It makes a huge difference. My first job was on radio at the BBC. I I won a a contract. Um, Obviously, you don't have things on radio. You you have props that make noises and things. um, You know, you are aware. You wear the appropriate footwear if, if it calls for feet walking on a, on a wood floor or stone or whatever. So you have that. But the rest of it is just an empty studio. And um, I'm always amused now that I, I learned uh, how, to, uh, uh, how to work in a radio studio. My first job was in fact not, not speaking at all in this scene. And they said, ah, oh, would you mind doing the door? And so, in the studio, there was a, a big box with a fake, a real door, but didn't go anywhere. It was just for the effect. It had locks on it. If you wanted to do that, and it had a handle. Here, the arrival was going to be by the handle. So on the cue, I pushed the handle down, and they stopped and they said, um, uh, "Anthony, you you realise in radio you actually do have to make a noise. So um, you open the door so quietly." you <laughs> Slap the handle and then yank it. I <laughs> felt <not> so stupid. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah. Um, so in uh, in this, in a real set, it is genuinely inspirational, and it is in a film like films like ours. It, it it's such fun. You cannot believe the, the the death star was kind of real around you big and sort of huge and echoing, black and everything. Okay, the, uh, in the first film, half the Millennium Falcon was actually a painting on the wall, brilliantly 3D painted, trompe l'oeil effect, and that fascinated me. I would go and poke bits of machinery uh, that turned out to be made of plywood. and and painted like it was, you know, metal and whatever. And that has gone right through And the the scenes, scenic design and and effects that we had in uh, The Rise of Skywalker were breathtaking. And people maybe don't realise that the film industry really, really gives work to artists, genuine artists, whether it's People who can make stained glass or leather or uh, make things out of plaster and a lot of polystyrene now, and people who paint it. I was approaching on um, one of the films, there been so many now, um, in episode seven, I think, and there were three starships in the distance as I walked. And I just sort of totally accepted them until I got close. It was a big sheet of hardboard painted 3D, and it was How do they do this? Yeah, I just dress up and talk in in a silly way. You've got real artists doing it. I do remember when I was at drama school, our stage, our theater, suddenly got a revolve, a table in the middle of the floor that turned around so it could change the scene or have an effect. From then on, every production used that turntable (laughs) all the time. You know, one was giddy with watching and giddy with playing on it because it was the new trick in town. And back, you know, with the prequels, yes, George invented so many tricks. You know, he changed the industry, but maybe there were a bit too many. And it's boring if, if you're surrounded by green walls and, or, or blue walls, you know. There is room for, for both, but, a, you know, a gentle use of techniques is good.
2: Yes. And it seems like, um, at least from the pieces of the book, where you're working with J.J. Abrams, it seems like he does a a really great job of marrying the practical with the digital.
1: um. It's great. Um, I always remember, I think it was episode seven, uh, in the middle of this big set, uh, which was outside, there was this uh, lot of green on one side. And they said, well, yeah, that's the castle or whatever it is we only need the doorway on the, on the set. Why, you know, we're not gonna build the whole thing just, so that would be a matte painting uh, that marries in with it. And there are a lot of films that use matte painting and, and green screen effects to, you know, fill in. You've got this big thing, the, uh, the Royal Family or whatever it's called, The Crown on mm-hmm. TV. A lot of those big grand doorways adjust that. There's nothing else. It's all a painting. And it is the marrying of those skills and the tricking of the audience mind, you know. Um, often the audience will fill in a lot of detail that you don't need to put in there. Um, so there is, there is room for both, frankly. It's just more fun if you can walk into The rebel base and go. Oh wow! Look at this! Isn't that fantastic? uh, I did make a mistake actually in the rebel base because it was all so wonderful. And at some point, for no reason, uh, it was a mixture of grass and rocks and things. And at one point, I kicked a rock just for the heck of it. It was a real
2: rock. Oh, and no, that had to hurt. (laughs)
1: Taught me a lesson.
3: Oh. Not
1: everything that isn't real is, well, yeah, that is our real. Yeah, I thought it was going to be plastic upon the story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the the fans and the universality of the, um, of the films and of the universe that's been built from the films, uh, you have such a great anecdote about meeting your youngest fans and them not believing that you are C-3PO or the the actor that portrayed C-3PO. And you go into the voice and then you see their eyes glow. And so with that in mind, I asked my five-year-old son, I told him, I'm speaking to the gentleman who is uh, C-3PO. And what would you like to ask 3 po And he said very seriously and very earnestly, why does not C-3PO listen to BB-8? So if you wouldn't mind, uh, I... I, that is from the, the lips of babes, uh, from my five-year-old. Why, why won't you listen to BB-8 more? I, I wasn't. I'm, I'm worried now. I thought, I
1: <laughs> BB-8 is one of my favorite, favorite characters. And, and partly, so I'm a bit confused about that. <laughs> well, he's <laughs> Okay. Sorry. More the other way around, that nobody listens to 3PO. But here's the thing about BB-8. Um, R2-D2 did not make a sound on the set and I didn't know this was going to be the case. I'd worked on the costume for six months uh, at Elstree Studios and the script and all the time I was reading this dialogue between 3PO and R2-D2. The first day's filming out in the desert um, there was no dialogue, Uh, it just, the remote control unit just tried to knock me down the steps as I talk about. Um, but th- there was no conversation and it was some days before I had a scene where I was talking to Arthur and it was there uh, that I, I realized there was no nobody was saying anything. I was saying a line and expecting a reply how naive and it was very confusing and I asked George you know uh, this is difficult you know I'm wearing a suit I'm in. You know, can you help by making a sound when I finish speaking and he he tried, it, it wasn't good. So from then on, <laughs> to really, he's a director, he's not an actor. And from then on, I learnt the whole scene, all the scenes without, to, in my head to, to kind of play them. Um, whereas, you know, move forward 30 odd years, and now you have BB-8's ball on the floor, and without giving the game away, often attached to him with green sticks, was a man, Brian Herring in a green suit, And they had asked Brian, whilst he was operating BB-8, to also make the sounds. Um, And he just, I I think I say it in the book, he just used to make me laugh all the time. (laughs) But I had somebody, a a sound to relate to. The problem was that Brian's face was, uh, what about five feet higher than BB-8, so I had to remember to look at the ball and not at Brian, you know?
0: Right.
2: (laughs) Vanessa you have our next question.
0: Yes, so back to Star Wars here with new technology uh, Star Wars filmmakers they've been able to turn back time and recreate the look and even the voice of actors and in your book you describe this moment where you're watching Rogue One and you see the back of a young CGI Princess Leia, but you did not want her to turn around so We have a couple questions here. What is your, uh, what was your aversion to seeing her and what are your thoughts on the character of C-3PO and his iconic voice that we know and love carrying on even uh, maybe if you decide to refrain from being in any more episodes. What are your thoughts on that?
1: First of all I wouldn't know where to begin to animate a uh, character like Princess Leia to make her live again as a young person. Um, I felt as a directorial uh, gambit, um, not that I'm a director, I did not need to see her turn around. The iconic buns on the side of the head, the iconic dress said it all. You didn't need to see her. It would have been cleverer because when she did turn around, or the camera turned around, I can't remember, um, th- the image wasn't great. It was a bit cutie pie, cutie doll, uh, pink cheeked, uh, it didn't look like Carrie, and it was a bit of a misfire and it was like um, a mistake. On the other hand I adored being one day in Rogue One when <laughs> they, they asked me if I would, I talk about it don't I, um, yeah the director asked me if I would be in it and what a treat and there uh, and nobody knew I was there. It was a big secret, and uh, you know, nobody saw me arrive. So I came out of my dressing area, totally dressed up as three PO, and again saw this shock and awe <laughs> on people's face. Because okay, you see three PO on the screen, and we're used to that, but to see him live in the same room, studio set as you, uh, and I could see through my little pinhole eyes, and that was a good feeling. Um, I do talk about the future uh, of 3PO, <clears throat> um, because he continues, I'm, I'm in a studio tomorrow, um, in, in various ways. And it's difficult, it's a bit, if I think about it now, talking to you, um, countenancing your your own uh, mortality, thinking, you know, I, I, I say in the book, I, I know I will at some point, you know, as we as we all will. Um, and we try not to think about it very much. Uh, sometimes in thinking about a loved one disappearing, it can be uh, kind of difficult. And I talk about a question given to me by a child in the book, uh, which did give me pause. So we will wait to see. He is too—he's uh, too wonderful a character, and I—you know—not because I made him. He—he he exists to me in his own right. I know I have a certain input. Um, I would rather. I think he he ought to go on living, surviving, being whatever robots do, with or without me.
0: Well, um, I, I I think I can speak for everyone. I say we love him so much. We don't want him to go. So.
1: No, never.
3: <laughs>
0: but, and what um, a great
1: legacy too, and to yes. you know for that to go on. Yeah. One of the one of the things, and I briefly touch on it in the book, and is it's quite a a weird thing to talk about. It has come to me in the last few years, literally, over a number of years, um, how much he has meant as a character to people who have seen the films, um, men and women of various ages, who have found him a bit of a um, uh, comfort, because, like them, they watch 3PO being uh, disconcerted by people's behavior being uncomfortable in social situations work situation any situations 3PO has always wanted to be slightly uh, away from it all safe and, and protected and, and not confused and whatever and i i really i really like that that he's been able to uh make pe- people feel a bit more okay about their nervousness their their Ill, not being at ease and so on uh and that's a that's a aspect I never thought would would happen. But I can see it, that um, people recognize in, in such a big screen image somebody who feels as vulnerable as they do and who continues and, and carries on and, and puts up with things and survives.
0: Right. And I, I also just wanna add, this isn't really a question, but um, for maybe an encouragement for others to read the book that you give such a loving tribute to Carrie Fisher. Um, and we're just really thankful that that was included. Um, in some ways it's it's where um, you're really taking us by the hand backstage of the Star Wars story. And so oh, um, thank you for that.
1: Well, w- one of the things it occurs to me to say, uh, and whilst I was writing it, it took me a year, and you have to imagine I was writing it everywhere in in the office I'm speaking from. Um, My wife, Christine, and I have a house in France, so we travel on the train backwards and forwards. We were flying around a lot. Um, At one point I was writing it over a Christmas period in our new house in France with no central heating, and I was like Bob Cratchit, covered it in clothes, blankets, a hot water bottle, <laughs> little uh, finger mitts, you know, gloves without fingers on. They were That's the great. only bit of me that was peeping out because it was so cold. Um, and then I was writing it actually on the set of, of uh, the last film because I wanted to be able to talk about episode nine without giving away uh, secrets because it became, came out before that. Um, but I was also reading or being aware of other books that were coming out. And often you would see really uncomfortable headlines, shock, uh, revelation that uh, so-and-so did this to me, or, or you know, and I just, uh, sorry, it's a kind of cheap trick to sell the book. I, I've been honest in the book, but I haven't told the whole truth because sometimes you don't. You shouldn't tell the whole truth. It's not comfortable. It lets people down. It's it's unkind. Um, it's unnecessary. Um, I'm critical of one or two people in the book, but hopefully not in a, in a vicious way. Whereas other people, you read headlines in the paper. and they, Oh, I'm not sure I would have said that. You know, mm-hmm. can you sell a couple more copies? But, uh, so, so I've tried to, to tell uh, a lot of the truths. Um, I, I talk about how hurt I was by certain experiences, um, but as a journey, which I realized it is, uh, I think it ends on a pretty good note. Yes, absolutely. And,
2: absolutely. and if, I,
1: if I just add to that, that I have said before, but it's important, it's not just a book for, and it, this is not a sales pitch. It is not a book for Star Wars fans. I mean, obviously they'll like it, but it's a, a look at somebody's life, my life, which began in a really mundane kind of, didn't know what I was doing, wasn't allowed to do what I wanted to do, whatever. And then had this extraordinary kind of piece of experience, call it luck if you want, but it was against my will, as you can read. And then it it's kind of dragged me along um, into a journey where I have survived and other people I know have, journeys, they're not the same as mine. Nobody else has c 3 trivia, but they've got their own thing. And maybe looking at how somebody has survived, uh, weird stuff will help them survive as well and, and know it's okay and know it's the human condition.
0: Absolutely.
2: So lovely. Um, Brett, uh, you have our next question.
0: Well, we've
3: lost another actor vital to Star Wars universe and David Prowse. Do you have any memories or recollections of David that you'd like to share?
1: well the it, it is um, it, it's funny as uh, his first entrance um, in the uh, no it was in the white corridor, the implica runner uh, was a bit of a disaster, but that wasn't his fault. <laughs> it's just the special effects people, the pyrotechnic people got awfully carried away <laughs> <laughs> yeah. too, much, too much bang and too much smoke so oh, no. <laughs> somewhat somewhat muted um, he he was really you know his, his physical presence was amazing because you know he, he was a big guy and uh, with with his black uh, clothes on it and the, the head it, it was quite something to see him stomping around the set um, and I realized um, it's quite funny anybody wearing a helmet you know and who's talking you know me or, or him it takes the edge off the drama you know yeah so yeah. James L Jones you know in a clear microphone put, puts all all that on but David did create you know eternally I don't really think there's been a villain like him before mm. you know? uh, to mm. some although in some ways if you think back 1976 was 77 when it came out was slightly more innocent you know we're talking 40 something years ago um, villains I don't know it was a very very clever design uh, by uh, a mixture of um, uh, John Mallow and uh, you know the the art department that uh, that created it and and also let's think back to the other aspect of the films, which is sound effects. And that was Ben Burt, who who um, made the, <laughs> the lightsabers and so on, and the Darth Vader breathing. And it you have to realize on set, it's quite mundane because none of these things are there. So you're slightly having to use your, your imagination. You know, this will be fine when it's fixed, do you know? Yes.
3: <laughs> well, it was interesting that both yours. C-3PO and Darth Vader were men behind these iconic characters. And initially you were unaware that your voices were to be dubbed. So it's a very interesting story in the book that how you were able to keep your voice as C-3PO but Darth Vader's voice was dubbed by, as you said, James Earl Jones. I'm glad you got the part. Um, that has gotta be
1: an interesting situation there. Of course, the fact that George did it eventually um, Had me put my voice back on the movie meant that I have um, voiced, I think, everything to do with 3PO, uh, whether it's a, a toy, a product, or whatever, uh, or a cartoon series, um, any kind of animation. Um, and in fact, I've, I found a, a toy pen today, <clears throat> which is uh, it's a it's a biro, and. Um, yeah. If you uh, I actually put a battery in it um, because it's a bio with 3POs head on the top and there are four buttons and I'm going to just see what happens so uh, listen carefully Hi, Hi, oh, I pressed it twice We're oh, you just press it once this is <laughs> oh let the Wookiee win that um, British film crews are very funny they great um, camaraderie and um, I suggest a new strategy are to let the Wookiee win, and from then on the crew just used to go around going, let the Wookiee win, (laughs) (laughs) you know, nonsense, and then I remember in the cantina sequence there was a word, uh, I think the barman says when things are getting out of hand, no blasters, and from then on the crew went around going, no blasters. (laughs) But there is a, a, a product which makes, makes me laugh. But, you know, that's my voice encapsulated in a biro. Kind of weird, isn't
2: it? <laughs> we all need to go out and find one now. So that's oh,
1: I, I think actually it's long gone. That's mm, from long time years. for eBay. And- <laughs>
2: <laughs> Vanessa.
0: Yes, well, you are often asked the question, what's it like uh, being in the suit? So we're not gonna ask you that question. Um, If people wanna know, they can read the book. But what we did find interesting uh, about that was how you were able to remain calm and uh, not get too claustrophobic. Um, you mentioned scuba diving training. So our real question is, uh, could you kind of explain to the audience how you were able to stay calm and and use mime to create the character? Because by the way, if I ever find myself getting anxious after this answer, I'm going to be going, now what would Antony do? What would Antony do? So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't... Uh... At the age of, I think, 40, I I couldn't swim. I'd had an incident as a child and uh, was frightened of water. And I I just thought I should get over this. So I I took private lessons in a pool with nobody splashing you or, you know, (laughs) there's danger. Um, And again, you know, that's something I admit to because quite a few of us have fears about this or that or whatever. So I, I learned to swim underwater. And then I found uh, I like being underwater. So I joined a scuba club and I learned to scuba dive. And I eventually became secretary of number one British sub aqua club. None of this, Aww. yeah. Uh, there's a paddy much, much softer, whatever. So I've dived kind of a lot of places around the world, you know, from Mexico to Australia and so on, and all around the British Isles, which takes something. And there, very very good training over over, uh, two years to become a sports diver Um, because if you're mm, 20 meters down in a strange environment and you can't see because the visibility in the water is not good it's a little scary but because of the training you know what to do if something goes wrong and I learned and that came in very good stead a couple of times that I was on the edge of panicking but didn't and I talk about one particular time in uh, the third movie uh, episode six, um, where for no reason at all I suddenly had a moment of claustrophobia and it stays with me and I was totally safe and surrounded by people. it just came over me and um, trying to just calm, just calm yourself, which sounds easy, it's not always easy. Um, I got away with it because there's no way that, There there are some people who could not take a role like that, you know, encased, because, as I say in the book, if everybody ran away or, you know, something exploded and I was left there in the desert, um, there was no way I could get out of that costume. I would have to, you know, I'd have to throw myself off a mountain to break it up to try and get it out, you know, like... Like you see a you know, cat with its head stuck through a you know, drain pipe and you think, that no, it needs help. Um, so just calming down, to trying to get your breathing back normally and so on is the way to do it.
2: Wonderful I will advice. remember that. <laughs> Wonderful advice. You talk a lot about in interviews and also in the book uh, about scenes that didn't quite make it off of the cutting room floor from editing. And I'm wondering if you uh, have one in particular that you wish would have made it into one of the final films or even into one of the spinoff series that you've been a part of Legos and and all that.
1: One of the immediately comes to mind, and I think I I know i talk talked about, you have to realize I haven't read this book for a while. <laughs> I don't sit down and read myself to sleep every <laughs> um, But there, there was a, a scene in our, one of the prequels where Padme and Anakin go back to the homestead and they meet. Um, he's been away since he was a child because uh, he went off to be a Jedi, didn't he? I just tried. Um, and they come back and they meet 3PO as a puppet character. He's a naked C3PO. Because he hasn't got the coverings on him yet that you would know as the gold character, and there was a scene which we shot me and, uh, and Natalie Portman in Australia where he explained she she she's very nice to, to him and you know asks if he's okay, and he said well not really, and he went on to explain that you know being uh, naked. Hmm, and, and so there was a wonderful end to that scene. And it was a scene in the middle of the night, sort of moonlight, probably two moons, I don't know. But it was I remember it was kind of blue lit and it was lovely. And his little speech was so soulful. And it, it really gave you a, a feeling that there was a heart and a soul in there because he had suffered for, I think, 18 years not being complete. He hadn't been allowed to become whole, uh, and she fixed it. Um, nah, got cut out. Had to go and kill some people, I think, instead. <laughs> but it it remains one of you know, the kind of beautiful um, moments. And then in episodes, the last film, uh, Rise of Skywalker, when we shot, um, there were so many moments with uh, me and Oscar Isaac um, and I think the character, where he would, and he used to do it in such a clever way that I would just laugh every time. He would gently infer that three PO was a complete pain in, in the butt and and shouldn't be around there. And what does he have to come along? And every time we did that, I would laugh. It was so sweet. Um, and most of that caught, got cut up, but it was a delightful relationship. And Oscar Isaac is such a, a subtle, sweet actor that it, it, uh, it worked very well. And, the, and that all kind of got removed from the, the mayhem that, 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 that was the final film because there was so much running about and sword fights and things. But sometimes, um, yeah, right at the beginning, there was a, a line you know, that I, I loved and uh, that just went. Um, but you do overshoot things. There isn't time to put everything in. Lots of good ideas, maybe. Uh, but something that was with me and uh, Oscar was kind of long running thing throughout the movie and it kind of built and whatever. And it added a kind of soft dimension. You know, not everything has to be laser swords and, and uh, people growling at you from behind masks and so on. So Excellent.
0: Your involvement with Star Wars goes beyond the nine episodes. You've also been included in several spin-offs, TV shows, holiday specials, and honest, my new favorite, Lego Star Wars, where your lines are so <laughs> hilarious.
1: I am so glad you said that because I sometimes literally I'm crying with laughter because you can people love Star Wars so much that you can make fun of it. You can tease it. It's like a a favorite uncle that you can pull his leg a bit. You know, it's not rude. It's not unkind. It's just being slightly outrageous because we're all familiar and we all love uh, the, the basic concept. And the, if anybody has not heard the Yoda Chronicles, which are, they're on disc and they're Lego, everybody's Lego and Uh, A wonderful team of writers just come up with this stuff. I could never do it. I do fiddle with the lines a bit because they know uh, they generally accept now that maybe I would phrase it differently or use a different vocabulary because I've been doing it so long. Um, But the basic concept is always theirs. And Lego has been a remarkable. a companion hand-in-hand with with Star Wars for many years now. And as I say in the book, you know, the only object in our home in London that you would recognize as something from Star Wars is a very um, stocky, very heavy model of 3PO à la Lego. Uh, And uh, in fact, fact, he's in the room here. He got moved earlier today. And I I wasn't going to keep it, actually, to be honest because I thought, no, you know, I don't want lots of uh, Star Wars stuff around. It's unnecessary. Um, and then I just fell in love with it because it's a piece of artwork and it has the spirit of him there. And so he is there kind of uh, just quietly in a corner.
0: Wonderful. Well, my favorite line, I think currently, I'm sure I'll have another new favorite, but uh, C-3PO asked if anyone would like a potato skin. And I thought, oh, that is, that is hilarious. <laughs> Um, so do you think Lego Star Wars is your favorite uh, kind of non-movie uh, project you've worked on or are there any other projects well, that you love?
1: Uh, very much. Um, I talk about, and I, I really I talked about this earlier, um, Star Wars in Concert was it was a uh, symphony uh, tour that, that we did with uh, really quite high production values of and projection and, and all that kind of thing and uh, laser effects and so on. Uh, that And that was where I really began to appreciate two things. Uh, not only the fans that came in thousands, up to 25,000 people a night in, in big arenas, um, but I also gained a new respect through them for, for the films because all these people can't be wrong. <laughs> they, they see something, that I could not see because I'm in them, you know, I'm too close to it. Uh, But I got a kind of reflected um, sensation from them. Um, I adored that. But then the other thing which people can experience is at uh, the Disneyland parks where we have uh, Star Tours and now the reincarnation, Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, the most stunning uh, piece of um, mechanical engineering in sync with now digital, footage, which gives you through the viewport of the spaceship spacecraft that you are flying. It gives you a one person, unedited view, uh, as though you are really there uh, experiencing this terrifying and, and, and witty, funny um, ride of your life. I love it. So those are the big things. Yeah.
0: Excellent.
2: Brett, you had our next question.
3: Well, it was interesting, we were watching the 93rd Oscar telecast recently, we saw images of the new Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, which opens this September 30th in Los Angeles. And some of the images of the exhibits, we see C3PO and R2D2. So I contacted the museum and the representative said that both figures are on loan from George Lucas for the opening of the Academy Museum. How does it make you feel to know that your character and film series are honored by the Academy Museum as part of motion picture history?
1: Yes, it's interesting to be thought of as history, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's like when you get a life. Uh, wonderfully, uh, Lucasfilm, uh, before lockdown, uh, I did a talk there to uh, the company uh, on stage, and it, it was great fun. And then, to my real surprise, um, somebody arrived with this uh, kind of, like, an Oscar but it's, it's actually 3PO slightly it's very beautiful sculpture and on the bottom it says you know lifetime achievement award from your friends uh, Lucas." but oh and I was I was really genuinely uh, it was a good moment but then I began to think lifetime achievement kind of implies it's over <laughs> that is oh no, no no
3: no <laughs>
2: You know, it's uh, it's interesting that you talk about the Disney parks. We love, we're fans of it all. And uh, so we had two questions about uh, Disney parks. And you already talked about Star Wars, Star Tours a little bit, but uh, we actually did have the opportunity to talk to Tony Baxter recently. And we know that you worked with Tom Fitzgerald uh, as well in Imagineering. And I'm wondering if you had uh, any thoughts about working with those Imagineers. And it kind of ties in because, as you said, your work with Carnegie Mellon, Uh, You are almost training the future generation of Imagineers. So can you talk about the experience of working with uh, those two individuals in particular, Tony and Tom?
1: Absolutely. uh, Adorable people. I I love the fact you've mentioned them. Um, Tom uh, Fitzgerald, um, I talk about it. uh, he, He sold me the ride of Star Tours just by moving his hands. He was sitting behind a desk and he was doing... You know, and it, he made it live for me. He is a real storyteller, but linked to that. And he's a performer. I think he, he used to you know, be a puppeteer and all that kind of thing. He's worked there for a long, long time. And he's one of their major uh, producers of the riots, because not only does he know who to get to to make the mechanics work, but he knows how to hone a story. And he and I have had such laughs uh, doing that. And, you know, Disney, uh, at Carnegie Mellon, there's a, there's a phrase for this, location-based entertainment. So it's not on your computer screen. You have to go to a place to do this, whether it's, um, you know, like uh, the Cheesecake Factory is a location-based experience, because uh, they design it, their buildings, in a way that makes it more than a burger or, or a piece of cheesecake. You're having an experience. Um So there are various ways that you can entertain yourself outside your home. Um, The teams there, I I would, like when I was on Sesame Street, I would have stayed there forever because the team there was just such a joy and and continues to be so. And I think to be, I think to be part of a team, uh, and I will will admit that if you're playing a character in a film and you are locked away in something that's hard to, unassemble um, it, it's quite hard to relate to the other people on the set because they're long gone by the time you've you know, struggled out and wiped your face and all that kind of thing so i think sometimes in the films i would feel that slightly remote and you know i was obviously part of the team but not totally if if you know if you can follow and so when i uh, experienced people like sesame street or the Imagineers. Oh wow, that that, and I think many jobs rely on the people you're working with. You know, if if you're a builder, you you enjoy the people because the job itself is hard. But if you're working with a team of people that you can laugh with, it makes such a difference.
2: Absolutely, Brett. You had another question about Disney parks.
1: Well, this was about one of my
3: favorite moments in the book was when you talk about your visit to Disneyland with Mark Hamill. And this was early on. I mean, this was even before Star Tours. So what was your experience visiting a Disney park for the first time? And can you share any more about that trip and a fellow
1: actor? I forget why I was was doing something in America. And I'd never been to Disney. And and, uh, Lucasfilm asked Mark if he would uh, host me there. And uh, I, you know, I was astounded, you know, from the beginning, you have the the, uh, the street, <clears throat> the main street there, which is done about uh, two thirds scale so that kids feel quite powerful, you know, uh, the buildings are, are their size. And I really enjoyed that. The way people behaved, I, you know great atmosphere but the horror story of course was one of the rides he took me on and it remains and I have done it since because you had I remember the electrical parade it haunted me forever this this strange mechanical music kind of a dance of death I felt because it just on and and these amazing floats and, and, and the characters um, and everyone uh, in character, the actors, performers, just doing it full on. And years later, when I was invited to the opening of Disney in, uh, in Paris, um, again, beautiful experience. But in one of the parades, there was the, the princess or whatever, and she was flanked by... Um, guardians, um, young like princes, and each one had a, a kind of uh, flag that they were carrying, flag bearers, I guess. And all looking immaculate and kind of snooty-faced. And then as one went by, I caught his eye. And he did the most gallic shrug as if to go, <laughs> what am I doing here? This is nonsense. <laughs> totally out of character. You've, I don't think you get that in America. But the, the horror story was, of course, It's a small world. Oh, (laughs) of the horror. The horror. Oh. No, it's I couldn't get it out of my brain. And even writing about
3: it, I began to have it going around in my head. Oh, sorry to bring that up then. It, uh, hopefully it won't. Well, Star Wars has been living in my head today in a very nice way, but you know, hopefully we can, uh, you can uh, not think of, of a small world for the rest of the day. We can move on to something.
1: There are helps. people who love it. Generally they are under the, the age of five. And although there is a five in my uh, years of life, uh, there's another number in front of it, so Okay. okay. <laughs> but Disney, um, it does, does something for, for everybody you know mm-hmm. and the, the, you know they're not called imagineers for no reason at all they, their imagination is astounding and the, uh, the way things are built the whole experience um, it can be a bit irritating if you're staying there and the nth person in the day says, "Have a magical day." And you just think it's not a good phrase, okay? <laughs> especially, if especially if you're not having a magical day. <laughs> well,
3: I did have a, one more question. I mean, now that um, that we have Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge um, and the world of Batu at Disneyland, also Walt Disney World, do you have a desire to check those out? Check out those uh, Star Wars editions.
1: Oh, yeah, because um, you know, COVID has got in the way of so much that. I've almost lost track of time, but uh, I've already experienced uh, Galaxy's Edge, um, oh. su- such as w- was there, uh, at the time they were just opening the in fact, we walked cold through the non operational, uh, major ride, uh, Chikunga. Rise
2: of the Resistance, mm-hmm.
1: yes, and it was, um, yes, it was ball dropping, it's <laughs> like exactly. wow, um, and kind of. It felt like, uh, almost like being in the movie, except the window camera is there, because it was very convincing. Uh, Wow. Yeah, I've had some amazing experience, uh, physical, visual experience of of being in sets and rides like that, and people can do those rides. Um, Which you don't have to use your imagination because you are there and things are happening. So, you know, very excited when things open up properly. Yeah, I would love to go back. Wonderful. Wonderful.
2: You know, it's been, uh, we have just a couple of questions left and it's been such an amazing uh, experience to get to speak to you about this. Um, And and just a couple of my final questions. First, when you released the book, you had mentioned that uh, Rise of Skywalker wasn't out yet. So I'm wondering now that you've had an opportunity to sit with that film, to sit with that uh, sequel trilogy, uh, you've heard some of the reactions to that film. Um, What are your thoughts about Rise of Skywalker? Do you have any that you Uh, wanted to share?
1: Yes, um, a couple of points. The the difficulty of being in my position or Mark Hamill being in his position or Harrison, Um, people can add, people can give rather too much weight to anything you say. Did you hear what Anthony Daniels said about you know? It's not like that. No, I'm, I'm a human. I had the best time filming The Rise of Skywalker. I worked huge amounts on it. It was adorable. It was the best. No, no dispute whatsoever. J.J.'s inspirational, loving, whatever. One day on the set, he said to me, you know, you should write a book. And then he, he drew quote, are you? Because he's, he's <laughs> got a brain. And I said, well, yes, I am. Would you write the introduction? It'd be an honor. Mm. And he wrote the most oh, beautiful wow. book. And it's then, to, to really push it, when I agreed to do the audio book, <laughs> and he's in the middle of making this film, uh, in post-production, um, I rang him and said, you know, would you record your... it's the audiobook, would you record your intro? Of course. And he did a wonderful job, as you will hear, in the, in the audiobook. Um, I absolutely love him. That said, I... there were elements in the finished film uh, I talked earlier about uh, the relationship between uh, Poe Dammer and Oscar Isaac, um, that we're not there in the final one. There was not room for everything, and possibly there wasn't. The storyline got slightly more confusing <laughs> than the one I thought we were filming, <laughs> because you have to realize uh, we had so many revised pages. They come in different colors. Uh, And each one was called, you know, pink or blue revision. And then one day it came a slightly yellowy pages and it was called the Golden Rod uh, Duration. And that that was charming. Um, And the story to my mind got a bit confused, but I will never understand, however many times people talk about it, why the three recent films weren't more connected, why they weren't laid out from... Uh, the beginning to the very final curtain, because they just weren't. I don't understand that. But I'm a simple guy, you know, there are forces bigger than me. It was a very popular film. People loved the erasmataz, the, the energy, the, the effects, the, the, uh, the sounds, the, the look of the whole thing, it's beautiful. Um, I think people kind of like the original ones. But then, you know, it depends what age you are when you come into these movies. Um, There are people who were maybe 10 when the prequels came out who absolutely adore those and the other bits, you know, they're fine. Um, Older people like episode four or particularly episode five. Um, So there is something for everybody in Star Wars and it's a miracle of a composition, a putting together. And one of George's original clever um, tropes was to... Take perfectly well-known ingredients, you know, a, a, a villain, a princess, a hero um, and then funny characters that you meet. And he mixed them up in a different way, uh, in a way that nobody had seen before. And it's like somebody bring out a new recipe for a pizza or something. Oh, I've never thought of that. How good. It's still a pizza, it's still dough, but you've done something different with it. And George did that. And, they, you know, then that continued as a, as a device.
2: And over the weekend, after listening to your book, I I went back and watched Rise of Skywalker. And it is such a loving tribute to 3PO, um, the storyline within that, uh, it is, it's is—it's so remarkable and so emotional. Again, that that heart of the story that we get to see uh, start to come to a close. And I know that this is a tricky question for you to answer uh, because of the, the way that the industry works and, and uh, secrets and things like that. Uh, so I'll ask it in a very broad and general sense. Uh, would you be interested in continuing to play 3PO in some of these Star Wars extended universe-type shows that are appearing for us on Disney Plus or in other properties?
1: Uh, yes, I would. And as I've said tomorrow, I'm actually in a studio you know, doing stuff. You're right. Your, your point about The Rise of Skywalker, it was, for me, quite emotional on the set when, you know, uh, Poe says, you know, what you're doing, I'm taking one last look at my friend's and they left. Uh, JJ left it. Uh, you cut. Um, you cut away, but the timing is exactly as we shot it. Uh, and it actually, watching it, I was quite upset because I can forget it's me. Do you realise? I'm I'm just watching this this character, this this friend, this this companion of the group. Um, Oh, and again, that was a bit that got hurried. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Um, The risk to him was far greater as we shot it, that you had time to worry that one of your favourite characters was about to die by all means. That got way compressed, so you you, you didn't worry so much. That was a Mm -hmm. bit sad. But the moment of saying that goodbye line was like... It's a bit sad.
3: Oh, it was touching. I mean, it was, you know, just you retelling that. I mean, tears. I mean, I recall that so, so well, and I'm like going, and luckily, luckily the reboot worked, you know, <laughs> so, but there was that moment there that
1: it was killing us. Again, the heart, you cannot. Yeah, and I, you said that right at the beginning, and and he is the first person you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you or anybody at home can remember the first line of the first movie.
2: Quickly now, oh. <clears throat> come on. Oh goodness! I, you know, it's funny because yeah. I had intended to watch A New Hope this oh, morning, and it didn't it. happen. I'm... And now I feel terrible about that. Um, I don't want to can get it wrong. Fix that
3: in post. <laughs> I'm like, going, no, sorry. I
2: can see the uh, scene,
3: but I, can I can't the scene, hear the dialogue. I know you said,
2: "I, I know you it. say we're doomed," but I think that that comes a bit later. Yeah,
1: it does come later. Yes, I'm going to leave it hanging. Oh, no. Thank you,
3: that's only fair, that's only fair. And we'll have it tattooed, so we will never forget
1: it. Uh, He is is the first person you hear in all the mayhem uh, of an attack by the the bad people. Um, And and I I think it, in a way, attaches you to him. And, you know, he's not everybody's favorite character. You know, uh, one of you, you know, uh, liked. Luke Skywalker very much, a very difficult part to to, to play by Mark Hamill because he's surrounded, he's just a blonde hero and he's surrounded by all these wacky characters who are far more wacky than being a hero. And um, in some ways it's a very tough role to play because he's totally straight, down the line, innocent, enthusiastic kid. Whereas you've got, you know, the big hairy thing, the big black monster-y bad guy a little R two thing, three PO. I used to say to Mark, you know, you don't act because if I'm in, if you're in a scene with three PO, and this is the thing you learn from being on stage, that you do, you try not to literally upstage other other characters. You try not to do something that distracts the audience from what that actor is doing or saying that is important to the play. But with 3PO, I only had to move a bit and his shininess would capture your eye um, and and take you away from Mark's acting. He did
2: fine anyway. Vanessa, you have our final question.
0: Yes. Well, I, first of all, I am relieved to hear that we can still hear your voice, maybe in uh, possibly in new properties or new stories. But, um, and that's because in reading the book, each, each time you said goodbye at the end of a trilogy, it was still exciting because we knew you were going to go on to star in more films. And it, so it wasn't really goodbye. But as the book begins to end the goodbyes become all too real and so uh you shot your final scenes with carrie and then you talk about the letter a very touching letter from mark hamill so what was it like having to say goodbye to these characters and to working with your fellow actors because by the end of the book it was killing me so
1: <laughs> it was it it was um yeah lump in the throat time. yeah but um That last moment um, with JJ saying very very nice things about me was very difficult. Um, I didn't want, you know. Um, But the the love on the set there was was great. You know, it was what a wonderful team. All sorts of uh, abilities coming together to to make something and to to make it uh, efficiently and and proudly and, and whatever. And I think I I may say, you know, that I had said goodbye three times. I said goodbye after the first movie, because clearly this rubbish was part of my history now, because nobody was going to watch The Star Wars. It came out, so I said goodbye there. Then we did episode two and three, and that was clearly it. Goodbye. Uh, Then suddenly, one, two, and three. At the end of three, well, that's it, isn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six. Makes sense. Goodbye. And then seven, eight, nine, and nine really did have that sort of sort of Damocles—that—that axe coming down. There is no return. Uh, and I think the, the weight of it all—it—it it was a very moving moment, um, but, and sort of private but in front of all these people. <laughs> really. they were very nice Yeah. yeah yeah so some good times so some bleak times but ending on a very good note and and I wish everybody listening has a journey like mine possibly not wearing a crazy suit but you know if it ends well it was worth it
2: well, thank you so much for your time with us today. It's been just such an honor, and uh, you know, our goal and our challenge to ourselves at, at the outset of this was that towards the end of the book you mentioned. I just wish someone would ask me a question that I hadn't heard before. So I'm hopeful that we uh, attempted that today. Um, and thank you so much from uh, our from being a fan of this franchise for my entire life. Uh, it is just incredible to be able to speak to you today, uh, especially on May 4th, on Star Wars Day. It's just been such a treat. So thank you so much.
1: Well, they say you should never meet your heroes, don't they?
3: You've, you've proven that
1: this, theory wrong. This does not apply. <laughs> this
0: has been wonderful. Yes. So thank you so
1: thank much. Thank you truly. so much. Yes. I wasn't, I wasn't searching for praise. No. Well, it's, well we're yeah, happy well. to
0: give it regardless. Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. Thank You're you. Very, you are very easy to talk to. So, and thank you for thinking. Thank you for not saying, what was it like being, oh. know, uh, or tell me about, it. and it's like, no, can you do some work? And you know, and, and you have done, you, you've, you've made me remember things. Um, oh, that's so great. Quite, well, thank you. Quite, uh, vividly. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being. A fan, thank you at home for listening. And to all of you, of course, I say, may the force be with you, always.
2: Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. This is madness. That was the line that we couldn't think of.
3: Thank goodness, thank goodness. I had, I was so- Thank the maker you have that.
2: Thank the maker that we have that. No, you know, I um, was just in awe of the conversation we were able to have. And he did throw that on us. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how do I not know this immediately? How can I not recall this? But such a truly lovely conversation with someone who has created a character that is so ingrained in not only Star Wars and the Star Wars universe, but also in pop culture in robotics moving forward, that character has inspired people to go out there and try to make droids or to make technology that would support what Anthony was able to bring to the screen. And it was just an absolutely incredible conversation to be able to have and such an honor to be able to speak to him. So thank you Anthony, for everything. And thank you for the memories that you shared with us today. Vanessa, I wanna get your thoughts on the interview we were just able to have.
0: I think I'm just gonna cry because He said, may the force be with us always. And I'm just like, okay, I hope it is. And I I love him. I love C-3PO. It's like we were talking about in the interview. It is such a comfort when you see that character in these episodes it, it kind of almost makes it okay we we love the original trilogy and so then we had the prequels and we see C3PO it's like okay it's all right it's blessed because the golden uh, droid is there himself so that's okay and then to speak with the man who is truly behind the creation of this character as far as his mannerisms, his miming, and his voice goes, it was just an honor. I mean, tr- truly, what a wonderful person and so giving of his time today. I, I just, I, I couldn't thank him enough.
2: It was just lovely to be able to talk to him about some of his memories. And I will say again, I, uh, I cannot suggest his book enough because truly, uh, we wanted to try and do the interview as though... Um, we had read the book, but we wanted a bit more of those stories. And so it's such a great companion. And we did listen to the audio book. It's Anthony uh, giving the reading for you. And it's perfect because he truly uh, is able to deliver that in a way that obviously no one else could his life story and his career. So truly go and pick up the book. imc 3 po the inside story. Uh, it is star Wars day. Give yourself a gift and make sure to celebrate star Wars day uh, by doing that because it, is uh, such a, a well-told story. It really does weave together such a great narrative of what has been a illustrious career over 45 years playing 3PO for us uh, and allowing us to experience what he brought and has brought and continues to bring to that role. Brett, your thoughts uh, on the interview we just had?
3: I don't know that I've ever had a better May 4th and it's going to be, be impossible to top this one so Okay, you hear all that, um, all May 4th in the future, this is the one you have to top. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that.
0: I don't even know how we do that.
2: (laughs) I don't think so, anyway. Yeah, I think he really uh, I think, too, he appreciated some of the questions about the Disney parks, because I don't know that he gets that. It seemed like he lit up when we mentioned the name uh, Tom Fitzgerald and Tony Baxter. And I I think that that was uh, wonderful that he was able to start to recall some of those memories, too, and be able to share those with us.
3: Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was wonderful.
2: It is time to bring this episode to a close, even though I uh, will be replaying this memory in my mind and in my heart for uh, years and years to come. Um, Before we start to do the the traditional plugs, I do want to say I hope you have a happy Star Wars Day, and uh, may the 4th be with you, of course. But if you'd like to find more content from us, from Beyond the Mouse, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast feed on any podcast app of your choice. You can find that by searching Beyond the Mouse. As I mentioned in the front, we are uh, doing things like interviews, we have more fun interviews coming up, but we also just enjoy talking about the Disney parks, the Disney films, and we've been doing a lot of that with our friends as well, and inviting some other Disney content creators onto our show to be able to share their love for all things Disney as well. You can find us on social media by searching Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook. We also have a Facebook group called Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals. Uh, they are going to be the first people to find out about this interview uh, with Anthony Anthony Daniels. And also we like to interact with our listeners that way too. So please join that Facebook group. It is kind of new and it's growing and it's really fun and exciting. We're also on Instagram beyond the mouse pod and on Twitter beyond mouse. We are part of NPR Illinois. So you can find us by searching on nprillinois.org. You also can find us through the front row network as well. And you can find the front row network by searching that on any social media platform of your choice. Any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up, Brett, I'll go to you first
3: i'm just going to spend the rest of my may the 4th in star wars i'm going to watch everything again and remember this amazing interview that we had and again thank you anthony daniels you've made my fourth
2: i like how that worked out well uh, with the with the words as well you've made my fourth right (laughs) vanessa your final thoughts as we wrap up
0: I just truly enjoyed the book. I think the print version is lovely. There are pictures in there that you can see, but it's also worth it to listen to the audio version. There are uh, musical um, transitions uh, composed by, of course, John Williams, and it is just a delight. It feels like you're in the story and you're behind the scenes right there with Anthony. It was a delight. This interview was a delight. I don't know how we could ever top this day. So I'm just going to say we're doomed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you all. Thank you to Anthony. Uh Thank you to all of our listeners out there. We really, truly do appreciate you. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in a galaxy far, far away. I feel like maybe we should end it uh, uh, together and say, may the force yeah. be with you. Ready? Okay. okay. One, two, three. May, may, the, may the, the force be
0: with, be with you. What? Wow, you did that nope. slow mess What out. is it may the we force? Can't, this is oh. Zoom, folks. It's not gonna work. What do we say? Let's try
2: I'm it sorry. one more time. Is but may say the it like force a normal person. The We're
0: saying the force what? or the fourth. The force. Yeah. Oh, sorry.
2: Okay. Okay, ready?